Welcome back, everybody, to Queerly Golf with Fink and Clubs. I am your co-host, Dave Fink. I'm here with Chris Custom Clubs. How you doing, Chris? Good, buddy. How are you, man? Good. We finally got everything nailed away. We're on our path to making this podcast better. I feel like it's very similar to golf. Simplify shit. That's right. Shit. But we had to understand <laughs> that we didn't know what we didn't know. So. Yeah. We got a mic now. We're recording this sound straight into a computer. Um, our producer, Ryan's going to be very happy about that. It'll yeah. make his job so thank a you, lot Ryan. easier. Shout out, Ryan. Thank you, sir. Um, in exciting news, the podcast has its first sponsor, which is Heisman. Thank you, Heisman. We thank really you. appreciate you. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Heisman. Heisman is positioned at the intersection of sports and cannabis. It's an official lifestyle brand of entrepreneur, thought leader, and one of the most electric NFL running backs of the century, Ricky Williams, featuring an innovative line of personally curated cannabis apparel and accessories. Heisman was created to spark greatness, no matter how you define that. That's true. You know what? That's a pretty sick little blurb, Heisman. It is. You guys killed it with well that. Done. Um Heisman is sponsoring us, which means they sent us a bunch of swag. We got two double extra large shirts here <laughs> from Heisman. The first is a dope stretch shirt. Double XL is club size, by the way. <laughs> he just waved if you're listening to this. He's a man of uh, Very few words. words. And then we got this dope Heisman shirt that says, I got high and forgot I wasn't supposed to get high. It's true. Very fitting. I feel like we've all been there. So Definitely. enjoy those double XLs custom. Thank you, Heisman, for considering me and your large man sizes. That's right. And then also, we're just going to quickly show the other Heisman swag that they sent us because um, they're really sponsoring our smoke sesh to get this podcast really headed in the direction that it needs to go. They sent us something called a Ricky Williams Jeter Locker Pack. It's super crazy. Uh, you open it up and it's like... His locker, or I guess what would have been in it if the NFL was actually chill. Right. Which is a bunch of bud. Um, you know, as an athlete, playing sports, injury is unavoidable. It's Absolutely. It's sort of just like, when is that going to happen and how bad? Especially a contact sport. You know? Oh, yeah. I mean, golf is not a contact sport unless you're... Getting, doing it wrong, I guess. Doing it wrong or getting hit by a golf ball yeah. from an errant tee shot. Yeah. But... um. Yeah, contact sport, football, and just diving into the painkillers, not the best idea. No, but weed is. But weed it's a great idea. can help you out a lot. I think part of what they're doing at Heisman vibes with us because we're not just smoking to get high and be faded. It's sure that it's it's lightens the mood, but really what they're highlighting is marijuana for recovery purposes. Definitely. I like to say that I'm never really that high. I'm just functionally stoned. And like... Well, we're going to change that when we open this. Yeah, for sure. And you, This Ricky Williams uh, two-gram Jeter that we're going to smoke on the podcast right now. Whatever I say, uh, you can't hold me accountable because uh, it's the highest moment that's speaking. Oh, my goodness. Anyways, thanks a lot for that. Um, we are big cannabis connoisseurs, so... We appreciate Heisman being cool and understanding the vibe when it comes to sports and cannabis, which yeah. I, for a long time was a big taboo. It was. I feel like not so much anymore. Um, 
it's always hilarious to me when I go to a charity scramble that's literally a golf scramble tournament designed to raise money for a good cause and everybody's shit-faced. Yeah. It's kind of a bad look, dude. A little bit. Um, we're there to raise money for somebody who passed away or, you know, some really great horrible finals. disease yeah. that's ravaging a community and you're all, you know, blacked out drunk on the drive home. Not cool. In my opinion, more golf tournaments should have we cannabis available yeah. instead of copious amounts of alcohol when was the last time you i'm saw not saying alcohol is bad though no but when was the last time you saw your friend smoke a joint and say i'm gonna go get in a bar fight Ooh, uh never right <laughs> never so I've yeah never, I've, I've never made a real impulsive decision on weed uh on the premise on of weed. weed i love yeah. this on the premise weed. Of weed you know give me a break um also tiger never crashed on weed it was no, always on the prescription pills right. so that's our stance on that. Um, we're going to get into some Queerly Golf stuff. I think what we'll do to start is I asked a question on my Instagram. Yeah. What do you guys want us to talk about? Got a bunch of responses, which is awesome. We're going to pick a couple. We're going to talk about it. They're all they're Queerly all Golf. Yeah. yeah, they're all great questions. So, clubs, why don't you pick out the first one and give your take on it and I'll hop in. Uh, yeah, so uh, me 808 uh, asked, Cantley Slow Ass. Um, his pre-shot, uh, over the ball is painful. Uh, in my opinion, standing static over the ball for that long will do nothing for you except riddle your mind with the worst, most horrific golf thoughts I could possibly imagine. This is a tough one for me because I actually, no, I don't, I, I do the opposite say, yeah. of Patrick Cantlay. I just I, I, I get I up there and whack and that yeah. shit. Um, yeah. I know where I want the ball to go and I know what club I have in my hand. Definitely. I feel like that's the most work I have to do pre-shot is picking where I want the ball to go and what club I'm going to use to do that. So once I've done that, I kind of feel out the swing. I really don't take much time over the ball, but I think there's a big thing. And I, I'm sure you'll agree with me on this because I think we talked about it in DMs with each other. Probably. The pace of play at the Masters on the back nine on Sunday, it has to be different than the pace of play on Sunday at your municipal course. I, I just feel like this differential is not made enough. This guy is putting for $80,000, $90,000 per putt, depending on the situation. You know, the time it takes to complete a Masters final round has been the same for like 30 years, but that's because there's that's his job. There's money on the line. If you're playing golf recreationally and it's taking more than like four hours and 15 minutes, honestly, that's fucked up. So I think yeah. pace of play is a bigger issue in recreational golf than it is in pro golf. Definitely. I think a shot clock would be cool in Definitely. pro golf. Really you know, cool. I mean, would be a cool addition. we don't want to like push some visual in a player's face when they're trying to focus on a tucked pin, mm -hmm. but you can't take six minutes over a golf ball, man. No, that's no. not respectful it to your playing partners. 41 seconds. On no, the that's, that's not good. But yeah. at the same time, I am aware that professional golfers are going to take longer than a muni golfer on the weekend. So I get more upset about long play 
when I'm out there. For sure. Because I'm like, you're not putting for anything. No. You're you're just putting for your own ego. Yeah. Who cares? Give yeah. that man his two-footer. Stop grinding over three-footers. Stop, foot dude. Okay, so that's so what that's, we think about that. So the next question is uh, was kind of a great interlude. Um, this is more directed at Dave because I already do. But would you ever or have you considered playing a short set? Yes, I have considered it. And yes, I totally would. I actually do play a short set. It's kind of depending on the you do definitely. what, what yes. the round is. So for me, if I'm going to play nine holes and I know it's raining and I'm going to have to walk, then I'll bring half the clubs definitely. because I'm not afraid of shot making. And I actually thrive on that. I feel like I can hit a nine iron a hundred different distances. No so problem. I just use the tools. I don't feel like the tools make the shots. I feel like I make the tools make the shots, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. So yes, a hundred percent. Um, also we've covered this before, but if you have four five and six iron and you hit your five iron better and further than the four and the six, why don't you just ditch the four and the six? I mean, you could just literally take it out and save yourself shots by not duffing or shanking balls during a round. So experiment with the short set. I'd say play to your strengths, Definitely. right? No so doubt. if you have six clubs that you're fire with, just use those six clubs. Definitely. And you'll find that when you're playing a short set that the good rounds will come from your ability to look past the number on the sole and will come from your confidence and your ability to hit the shot that you want and just your commitment to the shot. So great question. Love that one. Um, this one is for me. It says clubs. What it, uh, this is from good morning EAU. Good morning. You. I think that's EAU is like. Europe or something? Australia? French. Okay. Who knows? So, shows um, how much we know. Yeah. Clubs. What is cheap and decent? Have you heard of Lazarus? What is the verdict? Uh, you mm. need to stay away from that kind of uh, gimmick club because while they might perform very well at first, the difference between a Vokey wedge and a Lazarus wedge is the amount of time that you will get out of it. The engineering is the same, except that the Lazarus is probably a cast. Uh, chassis of the head and probably just has a forged insert for the face. So that forged insert over time will break down faster. So no, don't buy those. Buy a set of decent used Vokies on eBay. They'll be the same price. That's cool. Could you say that in English though? Yeah. So, I mean, wait, wait. So I've seen those Lazarus clubs and yeah, one wedge is probably like 60 to $85. And then but a new Vokies 200. Yeah. So what what is the big the biggest difference is in the quality of the material? Yes. So that. like a Voki is gonna be a one piece forged piece of steel. It's gonna come out of like a 1018 block of carbon steel. I see. And a Lazarus wedge is going to have a mold that they pour liquid hot iron into, which takes its shape. And then they have a little cutout that's in the chassis of the club that's directly uh they'll have like a heat welded forged face that sits inside of it. So it'll have the feel of a forged club for a very small amount of time. The difference that you're going to get between a Vokey and a kind of off-brand BombTech, Lazarus, whatever wedge you want to call it, is going to be the quality over time. Yeah, we can just we can just pause for a second. Sure. Yeah. The car key. Okay. 
So I'm going to finish that off real quick. Yeah. So bottom line is Lazarus, BombTech, all these one-off companies, yeah. they're just pouring shit into a mold. And so every club is basically... Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to restart what I'm saying. So we're going to cut this. Whoever's listening to this or editing this, we're going to cut this. So really what it comes down to, I'm hearing, is the quality of your weapon. It sounds like these Lazarus bomb tech are, are more similar to BB gun that you'd get manufactured yeah. in like a mom and pop store. Correct. That's like all over the country. Yep. And then it sounds like the Vokies and the stuff that's a little more expensive is true high quality craft. Right. So like if you were to choose an Adele product or a TaylorMade wedge or a Vokey or, um, you know, even like a Callaway Jaws, uh, you can buy any one of those wedges providing that you know which grind is correct for you and what kind of balance is good for you. Um, and, if you will, don't, and if you don't know that, just buy something that's mid-bounce and doesn't have a whole lot of leading edge. That's what I find most people struggle with with the wedge is that it has too much leading edge and that the sole is too flat. And so they have a hard time um, kind of conjugating what the face is going to do at impact with turf interaction meshed in with that. If you have a real sharp rounded leading edge, very, very difficult for you, the average golfer, to not blade chunk skull. Uh, that's So you want to select a wedge with high bounce most yeah. of the time is yeah. what you're saying. So yeah. that's, that's a good thing to know. I also think what you're buying needs to be dependent on how much you're playing and what your level of playing is. Definitely. If Those you play old. four times a year, getting a bomb tech wedge is totally fine. Probably gonna but if you're trying to drop your handicap, if you're putting time and effort and dedication into getting better in your game, you know, Make an investment in something small, that you're small investment, yeah. Well, and a wedge, a putter, or a driver, in my opinion, those are the clubs you're going to be using the most. So, if you're going to make an investment in equipment, wedge, putter, driver, and so that is a great interlude into our next and final question. I think we'll answer three of these bad dudes, sure. Right now. Okay, so uh, what handicap is best to get fitted at? Um, this is a, an extremely subjective topic, but from my professional standpoint of building clubs and doing golf through the mail, which is very hard. Um, I just need a few pieces of information from the person that I'm building these clubs for. I need to know your basic swing speed with a driver because I can pretty much guesstimate. Wait, so I think, but the question is what handicap? So I think your answer is basically the handicap is not, you don't get to like a 10 handicap and oh, now you need to get fit. No, it's you, um, you're best off playing something that aesthetically fits your eye that doesn't do anything that you weren't planning on, that isn't swing related necessarily. Um, I notice a lot of people play very light shafts. I have a huge quandary with light shafts. I do not like them. I think they cause a lot of spin and a lot of trajectory issues and a lot of unpredictability. And really what you get with a heavier, softer shaft is a lower, more piercing ball flight, lower spin, and a lot more predictability, and especially from 175 in. Well, that's a good point because I've had a couple of students recently who I will do a lesson with them. I'll tell them 50 gram shaft for you is so light that, you know, it adds spin to the ball. And they say, well... 
I also have a shaft that's senior flex. I feel like I can really get through the ball with that. And I try telling people the lighter the shaft and the whippier it is, the more spin there's going to be on the ball. It's going to be hard to hit it quote unquote straight. You're always going to have a massive tail. And it's not as if you have to get an extra stiff club, you know, if you're only swinging 120. I have students that benefit at 100 mile an hour swing speed of playing a 60 gram extra stiff shaft. So I think the fitting process too doesn't get into the court thing that I think is most important when you look down at a golf club, which is the first thing that Chris mentioned and he does club fittings. You have to like... Visually, if you're not confident when you look down on the club, why are you using it just because your spin numbers are 100 RPMs better with that than what you actually like? So don't don't do that. Play what looks good. I think that's like and for me, I'm scratch and I've never been fitted. So it is up to the player to decide and you have to be honest with yourself. Definitely. Is my miss being caused because of my lack of practice and golf knowledge? Or is my miss feeling like the result of a club that is not good for what I'm trying to accomplish? Definitely. So that's what we'll say about that. That's how you should determine whether or not you should be fit. You have to be brutally honest with yourself. Am I missing the ball because this shaft is too light? Or am I slicing it? Because I always slice any club that I hit. Yeah. Pretty so, simple. Yep. That pretty much covers that. Um, I do like this other question. Okay. Um, we'll do one more. Yeah. We'll do four questions today. So uh, B blockers in golf, um, other drugs, weed, shrooms, et cetera, et cetera, uh, performance enjoyment. And uh, I would like to say that I am a huge proponent of golfing on mind altering substances. Um <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoy myself. I have a lot of fun. The only problem is um, make sure that you find a good balance because a lot of times uh, if you are going to take a beta blocker such as psilocybin uh, on the golf course, um, you'll have this very odd sensation where you can't really feel your hands. Wait, you mean shrooms? Yeah. Wait, is that a beta blocker? I don't think that's a beta blocker. I don't know what it is, but it's okay. Fine. So when this guy's talking about beta blockers, I feel like he's referring to the Cabo video I did where I gave Sam like a very small beta blocker. Yeah. If you're about to play on camera in front of 10 cameras for the first time ever, I'd say maybe the beta blocker will just help level you out. It's not going to save you, Yeah, but you know, my heart rate when I first stepped on the tee and over the first putt and pretty much the whole day was beating out of my chest. Now, there are a couple things you can take and things you can do to relax, but, you know, alcohol, one of them. However, I think in terms of substances you ingest on the course and how it relates to how you play, alcohol is probably the most dangerous substance you can take yeah. because it is a very fine line between perfectly buzzed and, and, and loose yeah. and thoughtless. Yeah. And then the thing about alcohol is that it kind of spikes your emotions in either direction Definitely. when you, when you get a little too sauce. So you can get very easily upset by a bad shot. Definitely. I just feel like that's dangerous because then you run the risk of, and I think this is when you see these clowns after a round breaking all their clubs in front of their buddies, <laughs> throwing their bag in the river, 
You know, this guy got too drunk. He had two good holes and then he completely fell apart for the next three hours and looked like a jackass. And, yeah. and it's because he's very upset and, and partially because of alcohol. I've golfed. I pretty much always golf a little stoned. I feel like it takes the edge off for me. I feel like I can sort of think less about, you know, who I am as a golfer and focus more on getting the ball in the hole. I don't think I've ever really golfed. I, I don't think I've ever, um, I don't think I've ever like hit the course with no weed in my pocket like that. Look, there are people that are sober. I'm California sober, so I really Same. just smoke weed. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um, I've done shrooms and played like one time. It was fine. I was definitely chill, but I lost a hundred yards of carry distance on my driver. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I would advise against that because um, I thought I was crushing it. It was going like 180. So that was interesting for me, but substances in general like clubs said in the beginning it's all about balance balance my friend yin and yang same thing with how you how much you care about your score or the round in general if you care too much if you don't care at all you're going to be fucked either way you need to have one foot on either side of i don't care at all and i care the most um so balance in general um I would say it's not cool to get sloppy, messed up on the course on anything. It's a good way for me never to play with you again. I will never play with yeah. you again if you are a falling club. over, forgetting clubs. You know, then it's not about golf. You can just go to a bar. Yeah, Your buddy's garage is always open. There's a golden tea machine in there probably. Yep. You, you can, can just on. sit there and get hammered. I mean, that's to me, golf is not about the substances, be it weed, alcohol, or anything else. Golf is about golf and your experience on the course with other people. So if you, if your substances are interfering with your golf and your enjoyment of the company, maybe reevaluate. You got to stop. Yeah. So that's what we'll say about substances. Okay. And then we'll just kind of switch gears here. Yep. And go into uh, Dave is very familiar with this because of his recent explosion on Instagram. So um, yep. becoming unpunkable. It's a really hard topic. Yeah, I um, I had a lot. I had this troll account recently. I'm not even going to say who they are because that's nah, how pointless. unimportant they are. Yeah, pointless. But they posted pictures of my dad, and we're posting pictures of my students and making fun of them. And at first, it was just pictures of me, and I literally said, "Ha ha." Yeah, whatever. That's fine. Because like, I, don't, I genuinely don't even really care if you like me or not. That's that's literally you're entitled to your opinion Definitely. to like me or not. But when they came after my family and friends, I had a switch almost flip. And it was like gangster Dave mode has been engaged. Definitely. Like, cause now I don't play. Yeah. Um, Instagram is for fun. I'm just giving free tips. I'm not giving political opinions. I'm not giving tips on how to use brain surgery. That could be harmful if you mess it up. Yeah. It's all, you know, so this idea of, being unpunkable, it's in that moment, I lost my cool because I felt so protective over the people that I care about, which are my family, my friends, and my students. But in the next moment, what I had to realize is that people like me and they like you and they like the podcast and they like our message for a reason. We're about positivity, inclusivity, but in a respectful way. And so to even give excessive airtime to negativity defeats the message and the point of what we're doing. And that's what I had to realize is that, you know, people throwing poop at us 
why should that even we're on the inside of the gorilla cage we are the animals Man. you know they're just the spectators like we're the ones that people are i don't know this is my whole thing is positivity you can be not, it's there's i love this video online i can't quote it exactly but it, it says it's it's easy to show somebody love yeah you know it, it's hard to hate on somebody. And then that just is a reflection of their own self. They're unhappy in their own life. And, you know, they want to make others unhappy. I think it comes down to hurt people, hurt people. So once I stopped taking these insults personally and kind of like my third eye opening, like, wow, you know, these people probably feel like they don't have a community. Yeah. And so when they see us establishing one that's positive, it's upsetting to them. And For I think sure. that's at the core of it. But it also shows me that for every hate comment that I've gotten, I get a hundred or 200 ones that are positive yeah. and people saying, please don't stop doing what you're doing. And so I think bigger picture, if you can really step outside of your own feelings, which is what I had to do, you know, it's not easy, but, but step outside and look at it from a different perspective of what's really important, you know, making people better, making people happy, making people feel seen. I think that's exactly what we're trying to do here with the podcast, answering people's real questions, genuinely caring about people. And so I don't, we're never going to stop doing that. And, you know, this whole episode of this severe hatred at first enraged me, mm -hmm. but honestly, I'm a little grateful for it. Because it clarified a lot of things for me. Mm -hmm. What's really important in terms of what Chris and I do, in terms of what we say, wow, this is what's important is the positive message. So, yes, I was angry as a human with emotions. Sure. But as a person who's trying to be selfless and trying to make this whole experience not about us, Wow, it was positive for me because now we can just dive headfirst past this just only into positivity. If you want to disagree with us, fine, please do, because that is your right as a person. I don't even care what country you're in. If you're in a country that doesn't allow you to do stuff, you can still disagree with us. I'm giving you the right right now. But please, let's just keep it positive. And going forward, if you don't see Chris and I responding back to people in the comments that are negative just know we don't care yeah it's because we don't care and also it's because you can't bully me i bully myself every day mm. so you know we're our own harshest critics and i mean like you 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 have a perma hater that follows you around everywhere you go they know exactly how to dig into you they know exactly what insults make you mad and it's because it's you and you are your own worst enemy and it, that's in life and in golf. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, well, that's so true because I'll get a comment that says, who is this weird Jack Black wannabe fat guy? And, and I'll kind of say... Oh, it's not even fat. Why that's fine. I don't, I don't so know. Weird. People really like commenting on the shape of my body. I'm flattered by that. It's very It's odd. a little sus. It's a little weird. Whatever. But you know what's funny about the permahater thing is I'll read that and I'll go, is that all you got? Like... Bro, like you I understand that. that this morning in the mirror, like I'm not dude. That was a that was a thought I had for half a second. Yeah, ten negative thoughts ago, you know. And I think it's funny. I have all these followers now, and people are being like, "You're the goat. You're a legend." All this stuff, and that to me is still so weird. And what's funny is I feel like some people get attention like this, and their head gets really big. I feel like I was almost more full of myself 
at before. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now I have all these people that are following me, telling me that I'm helping them. And it hasn't made me more full of myself. It's had the opposite reaction. I'm more humbled. I feel less in every day that goes by. I'm like, this isn't about me. I think people think that I might feel that way. Oh, it's about Dave Finkel's. It's not. It's about clearly golf. It's about you who's listening to this. It's about you who watches my golf tips and get better. It's about the people that listen to what Chris says about, you know, club specs and, you know, the way you think about golf on the course and gets better. It's, I think that's what's cool about what we're yeah. doing is that it's about you guys. We're just the vessel. Yeah. And, and I think of experience. Clubs and has always life. been great at this where it's about the other people. It's not about him. You know, most people don't even know his last name and that's cool. That's just, that's growing the game responsibly. I think we also, both of us have said this at numerous points, shrink the game, shrink it. but I'll only say that on a post of someone running down their friend in a golf cart yeah, man. after they hit a bad shot, you're, you're kicking a man that's already down. Can we just, when I say shrink the game, get the fuck off my golf course. If you're going to hurt somebody, and and make fun of them. We're talking. Well, That's what I mean. When we say shrink the game, we're not saying a hundred percent of the game go away. We're or saying, new yeah. or new golfers. Never, hey, this is not for you. Do the it. thing is, keep, this keep is for you. Golf is for everyone except for bullies and egos. Egos. Yeah. If you are, which are coincidentally kind of the same. Yep. Yeah. Every bully has an ego and every bully is a hurt person hurting people. So if you do get a negative comment on your page, whoever you are, if you're just posting a video for fun and someone makes fun of you, just remember that person's hurting worse than you are after reading that comment. Because it takes bravery to post on online and let, and put yourself out there for other Especially your swing. Definitely. It takes a lot. You know, so Um, so we're going to move on from this, this more golf stuff, but it's a really great interlude, but, um, it's Instagram isn't real. It's not the relationships that you make on Instagram are the realest part of Instagram. Right. So the illusion of someone's life that you see is the part that's not real. I put out a, a, a version of who I am without giving too much information about myself because it's not about my, my page is not me as a focal point. My page is about other people seeing that they can create something that they'll enjoy using very simply with very simple tools and a very simple mindset that the things that you build in your bag, you'll appreciate them more over time if you do it yourself. For the next part of the show, we are going to bring on our first guest that we've ever had on the podcast. His name is Jeffrey Kwong. I met Jeff at a driving range and we became best buddies the Dave Fink Golf Studio is actually located at Jeff's house in Alhambra, California. Jeff, welcome to the show. Come on, buddy. Come on out here. Oh, the crowd goes wild. Thanks for coming on the show, dude. Yeah. Do you want to take thank your you for seat? having me. First, I just want to thank Chris. Dude, of course, man. Very happy to make thank your you tools. Uh, of course, buddy. Fixer. Happy to put it in your pocket and in your bag, making the greens a better place, oh, yeah. making the golf yeah. course better for everyone. Yeah. Just mainly behind the scenes, we're bringing Jeff on here. I talked a lot about Jeff on the podcast that I did with Eric Anders Lang. Uh, just because Jeff and I started the Dave Fink Golf's teaching business together. I'm the coach. Jeff runs the studio. Um, but Jeff's got a really cool, interesting story about how he actually came to golf, which is, I think a lot of people can relate 
to coming to golf later in life after having a career already, yeah. you know, either playing another sport or being competitive in business or whatever it is, starting a business. And now you find golf and golf feels important, but you know, you're not exactly sure how to make it a part of, part of your life. And Jeff is one of those guys that figured Has out, done it and done it better than most of the people yep, that I know how to sure. make golf part of your life. Definitely. So Jeff, we're going to do a little bit of an interview style here. Tell us first, where are you from? Um, well, I was born here in Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley, Tarzana, 78, baby. <laughs> okay, damn. Well, hey man, Throwing out his real here. age on the <laughs> internet. That's crazy. We're going to change his Google age to 24 later, though. So just remember your birth year is actually 99. Um, so you're from L.A. Tell us about, so you were living in... China was it? So yeah. How I, long did you live in China and why were you there? I basically grew up in the valley my whole life. Um and I moved to China. I moved to Hong Kong um when I was 25 years old. To to become a professional race car driver. Wow. When did you start so, racing cars? Like how old thing is I started really late in life. It wasn't like one of these, you know, you start as a young kid. I started when I was 23. That's so rare. Because you started people, racing. I started you were? in. I drove my first go go kart at the age of like twenty three. So you started racing go karts at twenty three, and how the fuck does that turn into racing a car? That what what's the differential in power between a go kart and a oh, Formula Three car? So like in horsepower, so like can you thirty horsepower to like over a thousand horsepower? Oh no, not <laughs> I mean the, the, the difference yeah. does feel like yeah. that. Yeah. But so what is the difference? I mean, the go-kart is just, it's just raw. It's a little engine. It's, you know, these, these are real go-karts, not the fake electric shine. Yeah, they're like shifter carts. These are shifter carts. You know, they'll top out, uh, you know, over 80 miles an hour easily. Damn, that's pretty fast for for a tiny go-kart. So then how did you actually transition from those to like a bigger one? Yeah, it was always my dream uh, to be a race car driver. And, you know. Hear that, kids? Follow your dreams. It was my dream. I didn't have the resources at first, um, and my parents wouldn't, obviously wouldn't. What they weren't done? Got it. Hey, mom, uh, I figured out what I want to do. I want to risk my life professionally. <laughs> so then you moved to China once you so, got an opportunity? Yeah, I started in go-karts, and I, I joined a racing series, and I... I literally won 12 out of 14 races. Wow. I'd say that's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> Considering that if you win in golf, I'd say winning in golf is shooting under par even by one stroke. I think I lose 98% of the time. <laughs> yeah. So winning percentage of 90, pretty, pretty good. fucking amazing. Pretty good. So then once you won yeah. a bunch of go-karts. I got, I got a sponsor. Um, Who was your sponsor? There's a software development company based in San Diego. And they were expanding to Asia. So I had gone to Asia, Hong Kong for my grandmother's funeral, and then everything just came into place. They they wanted to to uh, have exposure in Asia, and I met a racing team, and it just went from there. So I never came back. I lived there for 11 years. Wow. I raced professionally for seven years. Um, and what was the – I mean – if you're listening to this, obviously you can't see it, but behind us are a yeah. bunch of Jeff's trophies. Here's Jeff um, posing with one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, nine baddies. And he's just got the like pimp stance right here. 
he's, you know, and they're surrounding you. I mean, what is that like? I mean, like, so wait, I'm sorry. I'm getting ahead of myself. What, what kind of cars did you raise? So, um, yeah, going pro in, in, in Asia, um, I started off in formula three. I already had some, uh, formula four experience here. And then I joined the formula three Asia series. That's so cool. There I won three championships in formula three. So that's three different years. I won the whole season, right? That's crazy. I mean, in professional golf, if you win once every four years, you're considered elite. Yeah. So you you were winning three years every year? Yeah, the championships. Man. I've got, wow. I've got like over, probably like over 50 podiums. Wow. Damn, that is insane. Just to experience that level of happiness once in your life. Yeah. You got to do it like 50 times. Yeah. Uh, what what do you think was the Otto Sangin was saying after his fight too? Exactly. If anyone can experience this level of happiness, just, just once, once, once in your life, and you got to experience well, that. Well, I think this over and over again. That's incredible. Yes, and I think that leads us straight into someone like you, who's used to winning on a professional circuit. What? what why was? Why did you stop racing? Can you go into that a little bit? So I've got I've got a million stories, and obviously we don't have time to cover all of them. But yeah, yeah I don't um, know if we have time for a million. How about how I... about one and a half? <laughs> <laughs> so the short version is um, I've been. Uh, I'm also gonna spark this oh, um, Ricky Williams Jeter. It's called Sticky Ricky. Very fitting name. So Jeff, keep going. I'll spark it. We'll pass it. So I started in um, martial arts when I was about five years old. What and kind specific? So I, started, judo? I started in Taekwondo. Okay. Um, I trained all the way up to 14. Um, I wrestled in high school or for San Fernando High for, for a year. Uh, I've always been into martial arts. Anyways, uh, when I was 22, I broke my neck wrestling. <laughs> Wait, so neck. you broke your neck yeah. wrestling at age 22? Yeah. Is that why you started racing at this age was, 23? Or? I broke my neck not knowing I was going to wanted to race right so uh, my neck was already broken while racing and that was the hardest fear. part was the pain fear inside the pain shooting down my fingers and everything so <clears throat> so, so you have a broken neck yeah. you're a professional race car driver and then what and eventually at the formula one level you're just pulling so many g's it's, your body's all beat up and i could not take the uh the pain anymore no matter what How many I did, do you pull like like on like a forty five degree turn in a Formula One car? Uh, you know, depends on the speed you're going, but two, you three, get up four, there, no, no, you get up there to like four or five. Holy wow. fuck! Yeah. NASA astronaut. I mean, size. I don't know if people understand that four or five G's means the f- skin on your face is peeling back. Yeah, it wants to rip your head off of your your. Your, so, your neck. Wow. Okay. So if someone with a neck injury, that's yeah. got to be pretty painful. So that's, so then you, you started so, a business right. though in China, so right? What I needed to do to be, to get to the next level of racing was I needed a place to train physically. Mm-hmm. And so in 2006, I opened up the first ever mixed martial arts gym in Hong Kong called Impact Academy of Mixed Martial Arts. Man, nice. it's still around. Man, it's many accolades. Well, see, Jeff's a go-getter. Jeff does it. He doesn't wait for shit to happen. To him, he makes it happen. And I think that's for anybody out there trying to grow on social media, start a business, um, reach more customers, just do shit. Don't wait for someone to help you, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you, you were like, I need a place to train. I want it to be a certain way. And then you open the business, like right? Like a poster child for self-starters. 
Yeah, it was. It was. Um, and and a good and how all this happens is you know it's like having the right people around you. Definitely. I can't do it myself. Right? Makes a so. huge difference to have a good support network. Yeah. Also, I have a question for the people at home and fucking uh, the ninety nine point nine 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 the line over at nine percent of people that haven't gone two hundred miles an hour. What does two hundred miles an hour feel like? It's a it's it's another it's another feeling that you can't imagine. You can't the brain the body cannot. You can't even describe it. You can't describe it. Because the faster you go, the more grip you have. I imagine. I imagine <laughs> the brain doesn't work that way. Right? Like a suction cup yeah. down to the ground, yeah. and whatever ha- the smallest minute movement of your steering mm-hmm. would have the greatest impact of result. You know, I'm I'm way too big of a pussy to go that fast, dude. I no have a soft way in my life, um, and that is to go 200 miles an hour. I would love to. <laughs> I just need to find a vehicle that can. Well, Jeff yeah. has a souped-up Mercedes oh, yeah. in the garage. That thing will do. I'm sure we can push it up there. Shit. That that, that yeah, those that days are over. Now we're just enjoying life. Let's go to the okay, yeah. So let's. Thing. How did we get here to the days of enjoyment <laughs> yeah. and chill and hang out? So you came back from China to be closer right. to your family. Your parents yeah. still live in Los Angeles. Um, you were kind of done with owning this gym and you wanted a, a change of scenery. So you came back to LA. Is that, how, how did you, were you golfing in Asia? So, no, I, so I, I dabbled in golf when I was maybe around like 10, 12, 10 to 12 years old. My dad would take me golfing. The only reason I went is because I wanted to drive a go, the golf cart. Right. I had zero interest in hitting by the way, stick to hit a ball in the hole. I think the motivation to want to drive a golf cart is what drives 90% of new people to play golf. Yes. <laughs> so it's kind of fitting that of we're talking to a race car driving yeah. champion, Formula 3 champion, because, uh, yeah, you just wanted to drive the cart, bro. Yeah. I, I, I think we can equate all of Jeff's accomplishments in life. He just wanted to go fast. Mm, Ricky Bobby. He just wanted to go fast. So you came back to L.A. and and... What you were just bored or what? Well, I came back to LA. I was I was still having a lot of uh, issues with pain in my neck and stuff. Um, so that limits you in what you can actually do in, in everything in life. It just makes you miserable, right? Yeah, injury. And so, anyways, uh, COVID hit, and I was just at home doing nothing, getting really you know depressed and stuff, and. So I lived down the street from uh, Alhambra Golf Course, a couple blocks away. Shout out Alhambra. Yeah, great place. Uh, took my dad's set of clubs and just went and started swinging. And I was like, you know what? My neck actually feels better. Oh, wow. Okay. Mobility. Yeah, yeah I think sometimes, I think anybody who's been injured, mobility, it, the less that you move, the, the harder it gets to move. So Yeah, and I'm, I'm limited on my left side also. So, so not, not, I didn't break my neck or anything. I crashed a motorcycle when I was 23 and I shaved my patella flat and tore my meniscus. And so my left side just straight up doesn't transfer weight the way it used to. Mm -hmm. I just don't have the same amount. It's mostly, I notice it when I take the golf club away, Mm -hmm. you push to the left, you know, you push to the right with your left side. And so, um, that, power and transition going backwards. I just don't have that anymore. Yeah. And so now I took uh, actually a little piece from Dave and Dave really extends himself. He doesn't mm-hmm. move backwards. He moves upwards. 
And so I took that little piece out of Dave's book. If you didn't know that about Dave, Dave does that. He has, he doesn't have any real lateral motion to the right. Like a lot of, well, I do actually do, but it's it's more, it looks like more because I have had four or five, I think it's five. I don't even remember five ACL replacements in two knees and that kind of, I think a lot of people find golf the way Jeff did, the way that I did. I could not, I had to relearn how to walk. I lived in my parents' house for six months. And then when I came back, just like Jeff did, I couldn't, I was limited. What can I actually do here? So I took the clubs out and you start smacking those pearls and it's like, holy shit, this is fun. And like Jeff said, it's something I can physically actually do do, um, without the next three days being a nightmare. So. And if you are swinging a club and the next three days are a nightmare, you got to chill the fuck out, man, because golf's not supposed to hurt like that. So, Jeff, you were going to the driving range in Alhambra during COVID, and then you... I I felt great, right? Um, And then then I started to, you know, get a little more excited about life, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to become a golf professional, right? Wait, wait. Go back. (laughs) We got our first cough. <laughs> We've all been trying so hard not to cough through the audio, but dude, this sticky Ricky stuff is yeah. literally crazy. I'm on an I'm zooted, but like in a good way. I'm focused, baby. Um, so Jeff, you started hitting balls and decided what? I decided that you know what? I feel great. Um, why don't I just try to become a for the next part of my life? Why don't I try to become a golf professional? Right. So my my hold on a professional yes, golfer yes yes okay because right. golf professional yes. is what I am <laughs> yeah right I wanted to be a PGA okay, champion you wanted to win want, again right? you wanted to win again on a, on the stage you wanted to get back on the podium right okay and so I realized so what I did was I spent a whole year going to this driving range um, I hit two large buckets every single day I come back I work out a couple hours a day I was fully dedicated to to this, you know, for a whole year. Why does golf do that though? I mean, why, like, <laughs> like you can, you can, bro, it is Dude. twisted because you will go play, pick up basketball. And even if you make three threes in a row, you would never look to your buddy and say, it's time for the league. Yeah. Like where's the NBA, yeah. but in golf, you make a hole in one and you feel like, where's my tour card? Dude? Yeah. Does that not come in the mail? Thing is I was after a whole year, you know, I was like learning about golf. I was learning about the PGA and, and I was really turned off by the PGA, the Q school thing mm-hmm. and all this stuff you got to go through. Yeah. And I, I kind of just like, was like, you know what? <laughs> this ain't even worth my time. Yeah. Fortunately, I well, had because met Dave. You realized it was so hard it's or what? So, it's, it's so hard. And you just, uh, it, it was a turn off to me at that time. So then you met me though. And I remember I when I met you, the right? first thing you said was, I want to be a professional golfer. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. I mean, lofty goals, but yeah. Okay. And then what I also realized that I'm not as good as I really want to be. And I I just have to give up on this tree. Right. So good thing is I learned good for you for for learning enough about golf and then realizing, Oh, professional golf is not even like golf. Yeah. I had that thought very early for me that I realized that I wasn't going to be a professional or even a college golfer playing in AJGA tournaments. Mm -hmm. I saw how good kids that were two, three years younger than me. There was this kid, Alvin, and he was from Irvine and he was like five foot two, 
115 pounds. He was a, a Korean kid. Amazing. I mean, his drives when we were in like, I think I was a junior in high school and he was a freshman. His average drive carried probably 10 yards past mine. This kid just was half your size. Just just walloped <laughs> a 46 and a half inch R7. Just pounded the thing. Just so then your the thought is breaks off this thing. Maybe this isn't for me. I mean, like the kid did it effortlessly. I was like, mm-hmm. not what I was expecting. First time playing with this kid, he blew my brakes off by like eight strokes mm-hmm. on nine holes. So when I got better, I also was like Jeff. I was like, I should just be a professional golfer. And I felt like I got to the point where I was like, I am really good. I'm a plus three. Mm-hmm. This is trending in the right direction. But when you step on a tee with a kid who's got no fear, who's 17 years old and hits the ball just as far as me, but doesn't have any bills or regrets, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a little different. I mean, I think it's also hard. That's why it's hard for young kids who don't have responsibility yeah. to to keep it going. Once you become an adult and you start caring about getting pussy or having kids or I immediately whatever, chose, I immediately chose machine like machine shop. Yeah, immediately. <laughs> yeah, it's, the, the second I turned eighteen, I was already working. There, there was no way that golf was going to be my outlet. For I think what's cool about golf, if you are a realistic person is that you can beat everyone you meet, but then you will meet someone else who you cannot beat. And, and then you realize, if I can't even beat this guy, yeah. how the fuck am That's I going to beat Tony I met Dave, and I was like, dude, I cannot beat this guy ever, and he doesn't even want to go pro. <laughs> <laughs> I had the same thing happen to me. I met somebody who whooped my ass. He was like, no, this is just a hobby. And I was like, oh, God damn it. Coffee <laughs> so, yeah, um, about a year in, uh, golfing, teaching myself. Golfing never took lessons or anything. Just yeah. taught myself. And then I met Dave. Um, Dave, Brandon, and Alex is like three We all met each buddies. other around the same and time. Our first round was at Wilson. I actually shot a 78 or something. Like Jeff was on like, the first two rounds we played with Jeff. I was like, this guy is a contender. But there was a lot less thoughts in your head. Yeah. I know there was. You were just playing. And then I think this happens to a lot of people who start to get better and break 80 is they feel like, well, if I can just figure out my swing better, I can shoot under and go pro. And then that leads you yeah. to never breaking mm-hmm. 80 ever again. You have to accept what your swing does. And that's yep. what I'm struggling yeah. with now. Breaking 80 again. Yeah. Yep. You just have to accept what your swing is. And stop trying to make it more aesthetic and more picture book. If you're yeah. hitting good shots, keep hitting good shots the way that you're hitting good shots. Stop yeah. trying to be better. And the, re- and the well, like it, consistency over time. It, okay, so like when people ask me, how do you get better tempo? I always say tempo over time equals speed. If you if you practice what feels like thirty percent over a period of time eventually that 30% will actually be like 60 or 70% because you've been doing it efficiently over a period of time rather than trying to hit the ball further. Well, that's a good point that I think you only realize with experience, unless you're listening to the podcast, because now (laughs) you get all these tips for free, basically kind of learn from the mistakes that I made. Yeah, um, the ones that I made, trying to be... That we all made. This is the thing. When you first start getting better... And you want to make 
I see too often students come in and they say, I can't hit a full swing seven iron. And I say, well, let me see a 70 yard shot with a lob wedge. If you can't make a sand wedge go straight and 50 yards, what makes you think you can make a seven iron at your maximum potential energy go even relatively straight? The second I learned how to hit a seven iron, a hundred yards, eight out of 10 times relatively straight, I just added speed. Yeah. What you have to realize about golf is making consistent contact is why golf is hard. Swinging hard is the easiest part of golf. Yes. Just please, if you take anything away from this whole thing, swinging hard is the easiest thing in golf. You can learn speed. You cannot start with speed. Start with making solid contact and move up from there. But Again, Jeff's at the stage in his golf game where it's become a lot of thoughts. You know, the more you know, the more you're thinking about, too. It's like a compromise. You have to learn to take what you know, let it sink in, and then go out and just play golf confidently without trying to remember every single little thing that you now know about golf. That's why golf's a mindfuck. Like, (laughs) yeah, you can learn how to you know, use the legs better. You can learn how to create lag, but then when you're on the course, ball must go closer and eventually in the hole. And I think people need to focus on that more than how their swing is going to look or be to get the ball to go in the hole. Would you agree? I agree. And another thing also is um, we played around a couple weeks ago and I was not thinking about my score. I was keeping score. Yeah, I never thought about my score, and I wasn't thinking about my swing. I was just hitting the ball, and I played with my best round ever. Five under on the back nine. Wow. Five birdies on the back nine. <laughs> and we're at a par three course, by the way. That's this is hard. not par five two putts. This is darts from 140 <laughs> into the wind, and then, like, Drano. Yeah. Also, Jeff was the most relaxed I had ever – his pre-shot routine – was the least Patrick Cantley thing I'd ever... He would just <laughs> stand there, get a good grip on the club, look at where the flag was, and then he, it's like almost like the second his eyes would come back to the ball, his swing would start. And I've never seen that... No, no, sorry. In the last couple of years, I haven't seen Jeff in that sort of zone where it's mm-hmm. more target-oriented rather than mechanically swing-thought-oriented. Yeah. His eyes would leave the flag, return to the ball, and the swing would begin. And the one hole Jeff did shank, and it was a total fuck up after like two or three birdies in a row. Shank under a tree. Listen, every hole is a par three. So he's under a tree next to the water, and he's got 80 yards in on a hole that was 140 yards. And he chips a four iron through the rough that kicks up into the air, plops onto the front of the green, rolls out like a putt, and catches the back of the hole and swirly cues in Drano. For another birdie. It was like, when he hit that shank, all of us said, he's human. At last, you fuck up. See, we told you you couldn't keep it going. And he did this. He's under the tree with a hooded seven iron. No, sorry, a hooded gap wedge, which is even crazier. 50 degree, hooded it, and he just, same thing. Eyes on the target, trace the line he wants the ball to go back to the ball. The second his eyes are at the ball, the swing starts, and I just... It was like out of mind, out of body experience, right? You were just playing. That's probably the most playing I've ever seen Jeff. That's awesome. I love those. And and like 
Jeff said I needed that. <laughs> because it's been years of like suffering, you know, like grinding mentally and not seeing results, not feeling the fruits of your labor come to fruition. And yeah, I mean, you'll always have a round that keeps you coming back. But I think Jeff's main takeaway from that was like, I need to think and try a lot less yeah. on the course. Definitely. So Jeff and I, yeah, met a couple of years ago. And, right. and honestly, I didn't want to be a part of the PGA of America. I didn't like the way they taught. I didn't want to be a stuffy douche at a country club. Yeah. Jeff was like, I want to build out my backyard into, you know, facility for me to train. Kind of your thinking with, right. with the gym that you made in, in China that turned into something exactly. more. And it was almost like Jeff had the place to do it. I had what I wanted to do and we became business partners and Jeff helps me film my videos, tips back here, you know, gives me feedback. Um, and it's great because Jeff's just a guy trying to get better. So for a lot of these videos that I'm posting, it's like Jeff and I are just talking about golf, talking about his game, talking about my students game, figuring something out, having a mental breakthrough for him or for someone else. And then Jeff helps me to explain it to y'all where it's not complicated and we get the message through. And so I think that's what people identify with. And they're like, wow, it really feels like, you know, me, I get that comment all the time. It feels like you've seen me play golf because I have, <laughs> I've been you, yeah. Jeff has been you, Chris has been you. We yeah, are sure. you, we are no all the same just because I'm scratch and Jeff is a, a nine and Chris is a seven and, and our friend Brandon is a 17. We're all the same golfer at the core, which yeah. is just a golfer. Right. Yep. I mean, who cares Absolutely. how many it takes me to get it in the hole versus clubs or Brandon or Jeff. We're all playing golf. And I think that's what more people need to realize. These good players are not on a pedestal. They're, they're putting themselves there artificially. I made a quad the other day. <clears throat> I'm uh, good. I still suck. We all suck. I, We're all just I, playing golf. Yesterday I three putted three times and I had three drops for an 82. 82 is still a really good score. So I mean, I think people watching will be like, I'd kill to shoot that. Mm -hmm. but <laughs> still okay to have personal goals for yourself because yeah. everyone's different. Like we said, so the like, experience is different. Yeah, so, yeah. so like for me, um, obviously I didn't not enjoy my round. I did enjoy my round. Um, I always do because I don't react to hardly anything. And I do that on purpose. It's, it's a, like a subconscious thing that I do where if I have a bad shot, I just say, okay, ignore it. It's fine. Just, just go back. Oh my God. The ability to do this is so underrated. It's insane. If you hit a bad shot, if you actually want to get better at golf, bad shots are going to tell you more about what you need to do better than good shots. will. I, and I literally, I just, I, I just put the glove in the bag and I just onto the next. And it, what, you know, once, once I take the club back and I'm at my 12 o'clock position or, you know, my 1130 swing, Whatever happens past that point, you can't be upset with because it's fucking hard. And like when you swing hard and, you know, whether or not your swing is really finely tuned or it's kind yeah, of different Obviously, time, you like, didn't mean to hit it in the no, water. Man, it's I just, mean, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard. just, it's, it's hard. And so like, also you have, like clubs just said, be like clubs have a short term memory. However, the second you hit a bad shot before so calling yourself a douchebag or an asshole or a piece of shit I still or stupid, that, which I still do. I still do that. But please 
If it goes left, try to say to yourself the feeling of why did it do that? And then move on. Rather than I suck and then move on. Don't no, don't do don't self-analyze yeah. yourself. No, Just do analyze why did the ball go there? Because then you can actually start to fix it rather than judging yourself. Right? Oh, dude, don't worry. This is a this is a sticky Ricky. I could smoke <laughs> this down to the rest of it. And ask you you add light another one. You are such a monster. <laughs> I'm I'm just like Frank. Okay, I just want to take a second and say how crazy this stuff is for people that don't know. I'm a daily responsible user, so like I probably smoke like twice a day. I, I smoke like when I put my kids down for a nap at like one thirty. I take a little toke, and then about seven thirty at night. That's that's about it. I'm a very. Uh, it's mainly just because I I can't be. I just can't be non-functional. Yeah. I just I have to function. So what's stuff. your point about this? Stuff? Oh, just use responsibly. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Heisman is no joke. Yeah, um, it's got a fat ceramic tip on it. It's, yeah, it doesn't it's burn. Nice and smooth. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's really just crazy fun. stuff, and it's just loaded me. Well, yeah. Um, you guys are going to see a lot more of Jeff. Jeff's been officially now introduced to the YouTube and, and the whole digital media world. Jeff's <laughs> going to be on my channel a lot. I'm going to do a lot of YouTube playing videos with Chris and Jeff. I'm transitioning away from TikTok stuff and focusing all my focus on doing tips for Insta, which I will post on TikTok, but also growing the YouTube Um I love playing golf with my friends yeah. and I think watching yeah. people play golf, have fun, be competitive, but also be respectful of each other and the course and the general vibes of the group, yeah. I think is important to see. And also real golf. I will make a birdie. I will throw a dart and I'll also do some of the dumbest shit that you've ever seen and because that is golf. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's what I want to see more in media too, is like, just play real golf. I don't need to see the challenge of spinning the dice. I want to see you actually try to not make a triple on this par three, 200 yards over water. Yeah. Um, Jeff, thanks yeah. so much for coming on yeah. the show, dude. We and, appreciate uh, you. All I got to say is just stop tearing up the cart, the golf course with your golf carts. <laughs> <laughs> just because I like to drive fast doesn't mean I tear up the golf course. No. Okay. Well, there's a so, good yeah. message from a professional driver respect, to all you amateur no respect to the course, right? Yeah, Jeff, we'll have you on again sometime. Yeah, thanks, thanks buddy. Appreciate you, man. That was fun. Okay, now you leave, friend. Yeah. I also need you another water bottle. Sit, sit over here. Do, we'll that. do one more thing, and then we'll do the intro. Uh, I'll go. <clears throat> oh, what were you guys? The water, the water bottles in the fridge? Yeah. Do you, do you need one? No, no. You do drink that on fire. Crazy. You're a monster. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's cover one more I thing. Another one of your. Let's cover one more thing and then do the outro. The loss. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Jeff, thank you so much. Jeff also hosts the location for our podcast every time that we do it. So Jeff is the homie. Big ups to Jeff. Solid ass dude. Super cool story. Formula race car champion. Love to hear it. Love to see it. 
We're going to go over now something about equipment. I got so many messages, people asking me to explain the difference between the irons and what kind of irons they should be playing. And, you know, I'm this handicapped. Does this mean I need this type of club? Before we go any further, you don't need any specific club. It's the wizard, not the wand. So you can you can create magic with any club. Like we said already, it, you have to like looking at it. Yes. But there are things to know about golf clubs when you're going into the store to try them and buy them. Chris knows a little bit more about the technical stuff than I do, but we're going to talk about lofts. Loft does not mean lack of fucking talent. I know that for some of you, you might identify more with that. Loft means how open the face of the club is when you put it on the ground. Loft should be dictating how far the club goes, meaning if I swing every club at 80 miles an hour, they should go a little further than the club behind it because it has a different loft on it. Now, what is the loft of a putter usually, Chris? I know that there it varies, but like three to three to four and a half degrees. Okay, so three and a four and a half. Sorry. Okay, so three to four and a half degrees yeah. is the loft of a putter. Yes, yeah, so that's the wide. least loft yes. in the bag of any club. The putter, right? Yeah. And the most loft is hopefully not more than sixty-four. 64. I mean, that would be way too much. Anybody at home, for all please don't play that. Just get a 60-degree wedge. Thank, okay, so thank we'll, you for saying that. So we'll say, Gosh. yeah, please, so nothing hard. more than 60, please. So, okay, so loft basically goes from 4 degrees to, like to 60. 60. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good to know. So can you explain the difference between loft on a game improvement club or, oh, yeah. or or like a hybrid iron club oh, yeah. and a bladed club. Are sure. they the same? So like hi- hybrid irons generally are going to be very strong and loft. And they'll have good turp interaction. So that means strong means it's closer to the putter yeah, so like, than the 60? Yeah, so like my 7 iron, for instance, is 32 degrees. And the like the loft of the stealth 7 iron is 28 degrees. So, four, how much so in four degrees difference? So, and so, how much should four degrees actually influence? It's like, like forty the, yards. Forty yards. It's like one degree. It's like per one, ten yards, basically. basically. So the stealth tailor not, made not, not not necessarily. There's shaft and grip and other stuff I, that goes into. Okay, it, cool. But, like, but we'll we'll average it and say forty. So you're telling me that if I hit the stealth, I would hit the iron. I, I would hit that stealth iron about two ten. And I hit my seven iron 175. So if you're wanting more distance and you're, you know, you're a golfer, why not just go and get these game improvement irons that have the lofts all jacked up? I don't, well, because it only has good turf interaction off of perfect lies. And um, they're just a really rounded sole. And the top line is very thick because they're usually full of foam. And so even like the so, is mist, what you're saying that it has less feel? Yeah, it just. I mean, just, I know it does. I it just to, go far. It doesn't really do anything. Goes else. far. It just goes far. That's all. There's, and then there, that's got to be. It's just a bullet, and like sometimes if you're over the top, it'll just be kind of like a loopy like fade. Got it. So also, in terms of like the ball holding the green, I got because I can't hold a green as well with a four iron for me yeah. as I can with a nine iron. Yeah. 
So for when I'm thinking about this, the reason that I wouldn't do it is because I want my nine iron to stop. If my nine iron is the loft of my six iron, it's probably not going to stop as fast, even though I'm you're gonna have to technically it hitting it further. So there, yeah. Am I right to, though? Yeah. So you're going to there's less spin on the ball with a lower loft. Definitely. Well, I mean, from for the majority, yes. But like, if you're super far over the top, it probably won't make a difference. Got it. So what you're saying, and this is what I say, be okay with hitting eight iron one thirty five or one forty. It's awesome if you can control that because yeah. the ball will stop, right? Yeah. So like my nine iron carries like one fifty five, and my my forty eight um, goes like one thirty. My fifty four carries about a hundred, um, but I don't. I don't take full swings with wedges, so I don't know like how far they actually go. Yeah. Just the distance that Got I'm willing it. to play them to. So I am going to say, and I've experimented with all different golf clubs <clears throat> just because I've been interested. They are more forgiving, the game improvement irons. Yeah. But you are going to get less feedback. So what happens is you'll get more forgiveness on a miss hit, but you'll also be more unsure on where the ball actually hit on the face and what exactly caused it. That's why I don't like new drivers. That's mm. why. I, that's why I play a mini driver. Same. I actually had to bench the TaylorMade Sim only because when I mishit it, I wasn't sure where the ball was. If it was kind like, of more toward, I couldn't. Toward. I, couldn't I, where I, I consider it. myself a feel player. I Definitely. can feel everything. But I really, these newer drivers, man, more forgiving. But if I don't know where I'm hitting the ball in the face, I, I don't know how to adjust, right? God, I almost want to be punished a little bit, you know, like for my mishits, just just small, you know, like, I, and I feel like with the mini driver, I don't give myself the surface area to really miss that bad on. It's just, I, I feel like if you make the club face, it's like when people start to play blades, they're like, why can I hit these? And it's because your brain knows that the amount of space that you have is actually small. Yeah. You so know, it forces you to make better swings. So like how it's, Tiger Woods started Charlie off on custom blades and said, if you can hit this, those yeah. other, and you can hit any club and then we'll find your club for you. So exactly. I think that's also with learn how to hit a half swing with yeah. a blade. And then I promise you the rest of your game. That's will a fall great tip, place. honestly. That's one of the better tips we've given. Go to Goodwill, <laughs> find your grandfather's seven iron. It's going to look like a butter knife. It's going to be funny looking. Use that at the range for a week only, and just try to hit it straight in a hundred yards. Then go back to your clubs that you got fitted for that are from twenty twenty two, and I'll. Bet you, I'll bet you, you hit them better. I'll, I'll, bet you bet you, I'll bet you hit them better. So it's not that the newer clubs yeah. are bad. It's just you can't you replace you can't replace yeah. feel. And you rely so much on that forgiveness being there. with forgiveness. And that's why yeah. I, I think 460s are masochistic. Like 460 means the largest driver head size that's available. Yeah. So I think if you give yourself that much surface space your body starts to use that, uh, it, you know, like your brain, like how your, your synapses, they start to use that. You have this huge yeah. surface area to use, but really you're, you're the part that you can hit the ball on to hit a perfect shot is still only this wide. You know? Yep. So why not with a mini driver or a smaller displacement driver head, just make the overall surface area smaller. And small, the, miss small. Yeah. The ball doesn't really, I mean, I hit my driver like, 
275 to 285. Solid numbers champ-ish. Yeah. Hell yeah. And that's a 300cc head, but I have a, you know, a pretty sweet shaft. Yeah, of course. But you still have to hit the ball in the middle of the face. I think hitting the ball in the middle of the face is the most underrated thing about golf. People will tell me all the time, I keep hitting it off the heel. How hard are you swinging? And the answer is always the same, full swings. I would just like put What the, are you doing? I would just, I mean, like if you're a heel dominant player, I would just literally try and hit it on the toe. Yeah, and I think that's a big thing that also in golf, people always see me lining the ball up off the toe and they're, what the hell are you doing? It's so There's no rule. So I don't trunk slam it, bro. It's so that I Shut don't up. hit the heel. Yeah. The heel's the worst part of the club <laughs> on any one of your clubs, by the yeah. way. The closer you're hitting the ball on the club face to the shaft of the club, the more fucked you will be, I swear to you. If you have to line up where it feels like you're not even addressing the golf ball to actually make contact on the toe or the center versus instead of the heel, fine. There's no rule to set up. It's not like you're going to get penalized because your buddies think you're standing too far away from the ball. But by all means, if you think – you know, standing super close, crowding it, and standing up and, and heel fucking it every time is what it's supposed to look like. Keep 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 doing it, but you know, insanity and stupidity, the definition of it is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Stop stop addressing the ball the same way every time, smashing the fucking heel into the ball, and then saying, Why can't I stop? Why? Come on, dude. I don't know. Man. It's like eating McDonald's seven times a day and saying, why can't I stop gaining weight? Like, yeah. why the fuck do you think? So <laughs> anyways, that's that. Do you have any other shit that we need? To, I mean, we, we could talk about golf all day, every day. It would so, never run out. Um, let's see. This might be an organic way to bring this whole thing to a close. Yeah. I think... We're dialing in the setup. Ryan, our producer, is going to be happy that we have a mic now. Um, Thank you, Jeff, for hosting. Thank you, Jeff, for being on the show. Thanks, man. Super awesome. Thank you to Heisman for sending us some goodies. Really appreciate you guys. But mostly for making sport feel cool and inclusive. Yeah. Because sports are fucking cool. Yeah. Golf is fucking cool. And you can make it cool if you want to be hard rock about it, metal, fucking pop, whatever you want to do, you can do it your way. Just be respectful of the other people on the course, the course, and the fact that we're all out there struggling equally together, right? So we'll be back again sooner rather than later. We're going to try to do this twice a month. So going forward, we're going to try to have two of these come out every single month in the meantime go follow us on instagram i'm on instagram and tiktok if you're watching this you're already on youtube you can listen to our podcast on spotify or apple music um yeah thank you guys so much for rocking with us this has become a rad community if you have a thought about the podcast if you have a revelation about your own game please message me in clubs we love that type of stuff that's really cool to us You guys are cool. Um, We're going to keep it going. Until next time, thank you, Chris. You're the man. You're the man. We're out.